we see so much hope. This is changing so fast. I mean, you look at how quickly that this is being adopted. I mean, just when you think about cover crop seed, I mean, good golly, five years ago, would you have found that in Successful Farming Magazine or, or some of these other mainstream publications? Heck no. And now we're getting interviewed all over the country about regenerative agriculture. There is a perfect storm right now for making change, and we can really be a part of that. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. We have conversations about how we can improve agriculture, the food system, get farmers farming better, finding in some cases old ways, but in any way that there's improvements taking place. And my guest today is in the middle of that. Happy to welcome John Lundgren. And John, we're going to have you introduce yourself a little bit more because you're both in a, in a farm and a program that everything I see about it, John, looks to me like you see a vision for how agriculture can be better than it is today. And you're not just uh, hosting a podcast on it like some people we know. You're actually <laughs> doing it. I mean, you're, showing, you're doing it in a farm. You've got it in a program. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I run Ecdysis Foundation. We're based in South Dakota. But I also have Blue Dasher Farm, which is our regenerative uh, uh, farm operating regenerative farm. Yeah, and we're kind of trying to think where science fits in this whole thing, right? I mean, we, we talk, especially, yeah, the term regenerative farming kind of is, is really the, the area that we're trying to focus on. Well, John, now, now you are a Dr. John Lundgren. Yeah. What's, yeah. Your, what's your PhD in? Uh, entomology, actually. Mm -hmm. but, and now, did you spend any time teaching or an extension? Uh, you know, I work for USDA. I, I work for at University of Illinois and, and the state of Minnesota. And, and then I got a federal job with ARS for around 11 years in Brookings, South Dakota. And that's the job I quit and started Ecdysis. You know, you had some comment about quitting on your website. I caught my eye because, it, it, mm -hmm. you know, it's always nice to say about us or something. And one of them, I can't remember where it was exactly that I'd looked on your website, which, by the way, we'll make sure you mention the site before we're finished so that people can look there for themselves. But if I recall right, you had some experience that you, you weren't happy with where things were going or something like that and decided to quit and do something else. But yeah, I got that right. You know, I mean, I was so I, I worked in in science and agriculture. Right. And and. I had the right stats. I did everything I was supposed to do in order to be a really good scientist. And, and then I could drive through Eastern South Dakota and Iowa, and it didn't feel like things were getting better. It felt like things were getting worse for farmers and, and the land. And it's like, boy, my science is being used to support something I don't feel is right. And, and so I quit. And not only did you quit, but then you decided to engage in a kind of a campaign of your own then. Yeah. Yeah, right. So we um, so 
I think science is really important in this. And there's a disconnect between what's going on in science and what farmers need right now. We really, I mean, I think the status quo just isn't getting us where we've got to go. And so that means there's got to be an evolution of things to happen. That happens on the producer side, right? And going towards this regenerative agriculture on farms, consumers have to change the way they're eating. You know, uh, medicine has to change the way they're thinking about diseases and nutrition. And dang it, science. Science has to change if we're going to usher in this approach. Well, there's a lot. If you're going to change science, we're going to get back at that one. But again, at this this point, though, you recognize that. You recognize that agriculture seemed to be going the wrong direction. And you were going to go another direction and and create examples for agriculture by literally being hands-on. So in this yeah. case, which came first? Did you start your own farming operation um, or did you start start a program and then get a farming operation on the side? Kind of ex- explain that. It was both all at the same time. I I was drinking from the fire hose and had to learn more than I'd have faster than I'd ever had to learn. That's for sure. Uh, so we started our nonprofit Ecdysis Foundation, which is research based and kind of grassroots science. But then I also had to learn how to become a farmer and a rancher and a beekeeper. Um, and I had advised people on how to do that, right? I was an academic and a doctor and therefore, you know, the expert, right? But advising people isn't doing it. And, and, and that was so important in informing, well, it changed my life, but it also informed the kinds of questions that we ask a scientist and, and how we ask them. You know, I, I kind of have the idea of how you start a farm. First of all, you got to get a farm. So you're going to have to find some, if you find some land to, uh, to rent or to buy, and then you make decisions about crops, and then you go about, I suppose, trying to produce them the way you think it's supposed to be done. Uh, and then uh, somewhere we got to figure out on the, on the research side of it then and the role that you have of being an example of a science. How do you do that? I mean, how do you start a farm and then also start, uh, you know, a, a research program too? Oh, it, there was no instruction book. That's for damn sure. Uh, yeah, I made a lot of mistakes. That's how I did it. Uh, we had a business model for the farm. And, you know, I was like, man, I pencil all this out. We're going to raise honey and lamb and eggs and chickens and poultry and, and seeds from uh, perennial grasses and things like this. And I'm going to make so much money. And this farming thing's easy, right? And then, you know, the tractor doesn't work. You know, and you got to figure out how to get that going. And then, uh, oh, you know, uh, suddenly you got to get some additional fencing or or whatever. Uh, life hits and then the bees all die that, that winter because the neighbors decided to spray. And you're yeah, it took me three years to get the farm into the black. And I thought I was pretty smart. And uh, and the reality is that. You know, small businesses take a while for them to take off. And a farm is a small business. And we need to have that expectation. But you, you got the farm going. We're going to come back and say what made up the farm. 
But I'm still kind of confused now on the on the other program and the research program. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so was it separate from the farm from the yeah. beginning? So, yeah, at Dice's foundation, its headquarters is on the farm. And okay. so we have staff and things like that. I have graduate students that go through our program. And then it's kind of based there. But it's not like a traditional, like this isn't an experiment farm, right, where we have like replicated trials or something like that. All of our science is actually done on operating farms around the U.S. and Canada. And so we go to the farmers who are sort of best management practices within regenerative and conventional systems. And we study those things. We, we do full systems assessments from soils and, and water and microbes and insects and plants and birds and economics and nutrition, all of those things. So that's kind of our style of science is um, very much relationship based. So we, we, yeah, we're trying to integrate science back into food communities. You know? Is it anything like uh, the Land Institute in Kansas? I guess so. Yeah, there's some similarities, differences in focus, I suppose. Um, but similar ideas where that's a sort of a grassroots a little bit sort of a scientific organization that's sort of outside of the main infrastructure of, of science. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, and I, I think of uh, around the country, the land is so different. And I think maybe we'll circle back before we're through in the fact that you're, you're working broad, more broadly than just in South Dakota. And that's got to be challenging, too, because whenever I try to get my mind around American agriculture and I think of all the places I've been and um, wow, you know, it's it, it's hard to come up with a, a plan uh, that fits everywhere in the country. Yeah. So that's been kind of so with regenerative agriculture, it's, it's you hear this term a lot. Right. And, and it's applied to a lot of different food systems, you know, from corn to almonds to rangelands and mm -hmm. all over the country. And what's the, the thing about it is it's, yeah, there's practices that uphold those systems, but it's really related to principles. And, and that's kind of how it's defined as, you know, no tillage, um, uh, 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 cover crops and no bare, no bare soil. Um, Lots of plant diversity, animal integration and crops, um, abandonment or reduction in, in agrochemical use are all elements of it. But the practical nature really is is region and food system specific. So how do you how do you skin that cat? And there's a lot of different ways that farmers are doing it, even within a particular system and within a particular region. But they're often unified based on those principles. So back to your farm, and you've just put on your farmer hat before you're trying to tell everybody else how to be farming, and you're learning yourself so you can also share the hard knocks of, of farming. Mm -hmm. So we're, from where you started to what you're doing now, kind of describe for us what, what you grow and what's changed uh, as you've gotten this program up and running and you've learned more about how you want it to be. Yeah. So I came into it, you know, thinking – you know, I was going to crop. Uh, that's kind of what I knew. And that's what, oh, oh, yeah. Um, and then we got cheap. And I had a friend of mine, he's a farmer. It actually is a 
really good farmer, uh, innovative, very connected with the land. And he's like, you know, a farm just isn't a farm without livestock. And I didn't understand that until we got our sheep. And it's like, yeah, now we're really, I mean, we're really much more focused on livestock production than we are on crops. And, and so bees and honey and sheep production, uh, we've got pork and we've got poultry of various sorts on the farm. And that, you know, everybody's different, but boy, I really think that that connection with animals is a part of being human. Do you have all of the livestock? Are they in a pasture situation or some of them? Yeah, the idea is, is yes. So the, all of the poultry is pastured all year round. They don't, we have a coop that keeps them protected and, and warm at night. Um, the sheep, uh, we are working out our fencing situation to be able to keep them out on pasture almost all year. I'll probably lamb in the barn just to make sure that sure. I can keep those moms tight with their, with their babies. But and what what about the pigs? Are you farming them in a in a house? Uh, we just we just feed them. We feed them out. So we buy we buy little feeders in the spring, and then uh, and then we feed them out over the summer. You know, one of the biggest farm products that we end up producing though is the next generation of scientists. And so by having a bunch of uh, our scientific staff, you know, they're learning firsthand. Uh, oh, well, you're not, yeah, put the microscope away. The sheep just broke fence. We got to go chase them down and get them back in kind of a thing. And, and so the daily tasks, uh, yeah, we have a rotation where everybody is kind of exposed to everything. And that firsthand knowledge is informing the next generation of science. You know, and even before the scientists got on the ground, though, and you were looking at it just as a farmer, well, and I really appreciate your pointing out that those scientists have to have to become farmers too to, to yeah, do it. Yeah. But in that in that part of South Dakota, uh, a lot of a lot of corn soybean farming yet, or I think corn farming yeah. maybe in particular that that uh, went through a period where they were tearing out all their fences. And, and you know, then, there's still quite a bit of livestock, but you're right. It's corn and bean land now. There's, they get just enough rainfall that it, it kind of makes it worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. And Where and we're got, at, though, is kind of a neat interface, though, because, I mean, you get much west of us, and it's, you know, small grains, pulse crops, sunflowers, and then you get a little further west of that even, and it's it's all rangelands. And then the bees, yeah. that, I mean, it's, the Dakotas are one of the top places for summering bees in the whole country. So. I know. You bring them out and share them with us in California when we try to get an <laughs> almond crop. Yep, that's right. The long haul with a lot of bees to pollinate our crops out here as well. Yeah. They, but I I guess uh, uh, with, with your farming operation then, you've got it up, up and running and... And and I'm I'm curious. Um, let me come back and rephrase this a little bit. So, if you were if you were looking at um, well, just looking ahead, uh, and you know where you've been, and you know what agriculture is like around you, and you had a feeling for the direction that agriculture is heading, how do you see the future? How do you what are you trying to affect about the future with with what you're sharing with other farmers? Um, that's a hard question, I guess. I, I don't know. Put that in different words. Let's see. Uh, uh, yeah. Ask that question to me in a different way. I don't know if I understand what you're asking me. 
I think that you are on a journey personally, and then you're mm -hmm. also helping farmers that are on their own journey. Yeah. And so, but to do that, you have to have, start having a picture, it would seem to me, mm. how it should be. Right. You know, that you can say, here is what we've become in agriculture, but this is what it should look like. Yeah, I think we need to, farms need to get back to these integrated farms where they're not just producing a single commodity. Um, the resilience of our farming system has really deteriorated and and one little perturbation to a grain market in ukraine or china suddenly sends the whole system into a tailspin um so having you know farms that are i dare say smaller but more diversified stacked enterprises on these things um that can support multiple multiple you know revenue revenue streams as well as 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 salaries for for multiple generations on a farm i, I think that that's the way we have to go I, I just think that farming bigger and simpler sort of robbed us of of a certain identity that we had as farmers mm -hmm. um the profits don't stay on the farm. They're, they're, there's so much money being made off of agriculture right now, but it isn't by the farmers. I mean, look at, think about the input costs that are going up right now. I mean, $8 corn, that's wonderful. Corn farmers are like, oh yeah, give me more of that. They're not going to put a, pull any more money in. They're going to make just as much as they did when it was $350 corn or $4 corn. Right, because all of the profits that they're going to get go into the input cost. So somebody else is going to make all of that money, and the farmers will be given just enough to get by. I remember there was a, a time when I was growing up that the, the you you tried not to ever have any grain to sell. I mean, it was almost like you failed to kind of match up uh, with your livestock. Because the purpose of having a farm and growing uh, grains, certainly in the, in, obviously in the Corn Belt area, was that you had to have as many animals as it needed to never have to go to the grain elevator because that was kind of a failure. Yeah. And, and then we flipped like 180 degrees and it's the other way around. Have no livestock. Everything gets sold if you're producing corn and soybeans. And, yeah, and, and the farmers are the ones that end up carrying all of that risk. I read a tweet by a buddy of mine out in uh, Pennsylvania. He said, I am a farmer. Uh, every year I borrow $800,000 to make $850,000. <laughs> no, no wonder we are under so much stress and pressure. Yeah, yeah. It, so... Now, you hesitated when you started to say it might be that you get somewhat smaller. I think you were almost tempted to say smaller. Uh, but, but No, I think it's true. Yeah. Because, but honestly, because you don't need to farm so large when, you're, when, when right. you've got stacked enterprises, right? That was, it. but there's a sort of a sense of failure by farming smaller, isn't there? There's some sort of sense of success by how many acres you farm. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know that that's, I don't think that's making farmers any happier to farm bigger. <laughs> well, I wonder, they still have to buy tractors every so often. 
Yeah, yeah. And, um, and and in theory, at least, you may not have to get the biggest tractor and things like that, or the or quite as large of equipment. But uh, that's another story. But it's a, a huge cost in that. Now, I'm wondering about the the researchers that you engage that are involved in the program. What is there to research? I mean, they can. What they can look at as an economist, I see how they can look at the cost and look at the look at which approaches seems to be getting more results. But what are the what are the kinds of things that you're studying that you're able to to share with farmers? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, we study the whole system, right? And there's a lot of ways that agriculture is affecting things much beyond just economics, uh, you know, I mean, carbon sequestration, carbon markets are all the rage right now. Uh, are certain farming approaches like regenerative agriculture end up in encouraging that? How does that work? You know, and do we, is it through plants and getting those plants on the ground? How do you regulate those plants? Oh, it's with animals. Ah, well, there's some, there's a system there that develops. Or if you need plants in order to get carbon in the ground, oh, well, then you better affect your, your input costs as far as herbicide applications and being used, either stop using or use the right kinds in order to make that work. It gets complicated, doesn't it? Yeah, well, and, and, and then when you, you talk about getting livestock back into the system, too, um, at the same time, you mentioned a little earlier, like uh, Ukraine and Russia fertilizer costs uh, mm -hmm. that are are going up and nitrogen is needed. I suppose the recognition of the role the livestock can can play in getting manure back into these soils. Oh, it's so important. It, it livestock, well, it adds another revenue stream to the whole operation too. And that gives resilience to these farmers so that they can, yeah, if if a, if something does happen, then they've got to say they've got a plan B, you know. Well, since since your your research program uh, is a foundation, so there are people that will invest that will want to support what you're doing. What are, what are the kind of organizations that are that say, you know, what we want to help what you're doing because we believe in it too, and and will invest in your foundation. Yeah, so we're we're a nonprofit, and and so it's a five hundred one c three. You can give your money to the government, or you can give it to us. Um, we, uh, we get a lot of support. It costs us for each farm. It costs us about 7,500 bucks to measure everything that we do. And we give that to the farmers for free. So if wow. there's interest in, in signing up, we can give you a lot of information about your farm, especially if you're trying out some of these ideas in regenerative agriculture or want to start transitioning some of your stuff. We can help with that. Um, is is that just in South Dakota, or do you go? No, beyond? that's around the around the U.S. as well as Canada, and, and we're even thinking about branching out internationally too. So, so a, a farmer that says, "I think I could do better. I'd like him help in doing better," but you you in a way are kind of benchmarking right off the bat uh, of helping yeah. them evaluate where they where they stand with the way they're farming right now and how it can be different. Yeah, yeah, and we're, we're not selling them. Thing, right. I mean, that, that's yeah. one of the first things that's so interesting is when we start interacting with farmers. I mean, they're just, what's your angle? Really? You're, you want to you want to give us free information for making decisions about our farm and you're not you're not getting anything out of this. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. Yeah, that's that's our job. Yeah. I mean, that's that's. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, this is a good time to put your website then. Uh, let's uh, tell everybody how they can find out because you've got a few people that they're they're perking up when the when you're saying this that there's something that they could take advantage of. How do they get this information and how they get in contact with you? Yeah, go to www.ecdisis.bio. That's E-C-D-Y-S-I-S dot B-I-O. And, you know, if, and, and, or if you've got opportunities to sponsor farms or, or, or help out with this thing to keep it free for farmers, you know, please consider donating because that's, that's how we roll. We're after trying to help this community and we don't get a whole lot of personal benefits out of it aside from having a healthy planet when we're done. <laughs> now, Dad, do you, do you anticipate having farms or, or facilities or research units in other areas? Yeah, that's our goal is to kind of have hubs around the U.S. And, and we've got scientists kind of embedded uh, in, in a few states already, and, and they're going to start developing their farms and stuff like that over time is our, is our hope. So, But yeah. there's kind of a sense of urgency to try to get some changes made to our food system. People are hemorrhaging right now, and we need to, we need to stop it. So there was, yeah, we, we kind of decided to. Yeah, work on rather than infrastructure, work on getting getting stuff done. Well, I, I mentioned earlier that the country is so different. I mean, you know, yeah. if you're going to go out into the, you know, some of the, say, Wyoming um, instead of eastern South Dakota or, or yeah. Kentucky, um, you know, it's it's such a different world. I mean, uh, when you work in those areas, you just have to go, you know, get boots on the ground and start looking yeah. around and sizing it up. Yeah, that's it right there. And that's that's part of this whole thing. Right. I, I mean, we went from this year, we started in California almonds and then vineyards up in Napa and Sonoma. And now we're going up to Washington cherries and apples. And, and then out in the Palouse, we'll be out in the wheat systems and then we come back to the great plains and hit it out here so it's it's you we actually send our teams out to each of these farms and meet the farmers and see the systems and see how they're making these things work what about in all these different farming systems there are some that identify themselves as regenerative some as you know organic some as real organic some of you know so many different types how do you adjust to to that if they've got a if they've got a plan you know such as organic or not um you know we don't that's not our world that's not what we're trying to, to do, you know, I mean, we account for that. And the, if they're getting some sort of organic premium or something like that, we'll account for that in the economic analysis. Um, but, but we're not adhering or supporting any particular, you know, certification or label or anything like that. Uh, John, for the progress that you want to see made, what's the biggest obstacle that you face? I'm thinking, what are the challenges? I mean, I, I, I get it that you can it's see the It's all potential. up here. You know, it's all An up attitude? Here. In our brains. Yeah. Um, it, it's change is really hard. And, and I think that the kinds of changes that we need are pretty fundamental. And, and that gets to be really intimidating, right? I mean, you see 
<laughs> this big like monolith in front of you. And, and it, it looks so intimidating that you just want to throw your hands up and, and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to let somebody else worry about this. But we're kind of in a stage right now where we can't do that anymore. And, and, and so how do, you, how do I use science and, and relationships and trust to help fuel that change is much different than anything that I've ever had to do as just a plain old scientist, you know? Well, I would, I would suspect that how old our farmers on are, which are, you know, our farmers are now something in their sixties or something, the average farmer mm -hmm. age. And then there ought to be some of them are going to say, well, you know what? I'm probably going to retire. I, I don't have enough time to get this all going, or maybe they, it has to be the next generation. Are, are you finding that it's, you know, that, that kind of passing of the torch when there's a, the new generation coming on that they're more um, ready to change? You know, I haven't noticed a real age demo, like distribution to regen yet. I mean, you got older farmers that are old enough that they don't, they got nothing to lose. And yeah. you've got young farmers that are kind of like, you know, I'm getting into this and I've got new ideas. One of the big constraints we've consistently here is a younger farmer kind of coming on to their parents' operation and, and dad or grandpa just really not wanting to change anything. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that, that that's probably affected, you know, human culture for, <laughs> for, for as long as we've been farming, but I think it's really true now. Well, the other thing is most farmers still have to make a trip into their banker and get an mm -hmm. operating loan. Um, I'm wondering if they have any trouble convincing their bankers sometime that um, heading off on this journey uh, makes good sense. You know, uh, I'm sure there are troublesome banks in this world, but you know what? Banks are, are see the writing on the wall and they know how overextended their clientele is in debt. Mm -hmm. And and they also know that, you know, they're not going to pick up more. If you're paying $10,000 an acre for corn ground, you are never going to pay that off. Right. right. I mean, that, that, that's, there's no way. And, and so for our field day, banks are our sponsors. Some of these local community banks, they, they, they see this as a potential viable solution. And that's not all of them, but there's quite a few of them that are pretty smart and they, they don't want to be the ones pulling notes. You know, I think it's great what you're doing. So you can help farmers recognize that it needs, they, it needs to be done differently. They can, you can help them analyze where they stand and, and approaches they need to be taking to, to do a better job. Do you get involved at the marketing on the other end? Because of their mm. these practices because they've uh, they changed the farm program to the extent that you're describing um that probably changes how they have to market what it is they're growing yeah you know there's a support network that kind of is natural or inherent in this uh, and for our study all of the data is anonymized but there's opportunities for for you know getting into because right now for changing yeah, you go down to the coffee shop and, and there's a real stigma to stay the same. And so socially, that, that can be a real barrier. But 
within this experimental framework, there's a real opportunity for a support network. And there's opportunities in terms of marketing products that kind of come out of that too. So um, working together and farm communities working together again, wow, what would that be like, huh? Well, you're kind of leading me to one of my favorite questions to, to wrap up. And um, because you're, you're sounding a note of, uh, I think, of progress being made, uh, I just want to be sure I'm hearing you correctly. So what are you most optimistic about? As you look down the road four or five years from now, what gives you hope that it's going to be better than it is today in agriculture? Uh, we see so much hope. This is changing so fast. I mean, you look at how quickly that this is being adopted. I mean, just when you think about cover crop seed, I mean, good golly, five years ago, would you have found that in Successful Farming Magazine or, or some of these other mainstream publications? Heck no. And now we're getting interviewed all over the country about regenerative agriculture. We just did a field day in almonds two, three years ago. Regenerative agriculture was a dirty word in California Central Valley. 320 people came to that field day in regenerative almond production. There is a perfect storm right now for making change, and we can really be a part of that. So I met you at that perfect storm, and I, I agree. <laughs> right, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of a lot of enthusiasm and interest, and I share your enthusiasm. One more time, give the, uh, the contact information for people to follow up with you. You bet. Um, Ecdysis Foundation is our name. The website is www.ecdysis.bio, E-C-D-Y-S-I-S dot B-I-O. John Lundgren, I really appreciate your being on Farm to Table Talk. I know we have some listeners that are paying attention to what you're saying today, and uh, I won't be surprised if some of them try to get in contact with you. So thanks again for our conversation. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. And thanks for giving this some time. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. If you like what you hear, go to farmtotabletalk.com and follow us. Follow us.